has anybody been walking around in town? Has anybody seen anybody smile? The thing that came to me is there's a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. For those of you young ones, ask somebody old and they'll explain it to you. Or read it, either one. It's called The Mask of the Red Death. And it was written, I think, in 1842, which is almost 200 years ago. There was a plague going around, and Prince Prospero was terrified of the plague. So what he did is he gathered up a hundred of his favorite nobles. They went into a castle, and they locked themselves in, and they had a masquerade. But he wore masks. They went from room to room, reveling, partying, and so forth. And you sort of get the idea from the story that it was a revel of desperation. Everybody was working really hard at reveling. And when they got to the last room, what do you suppose was in the last room? The Red Death. So as they came to the last room, I'll read it from Poe, and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night, and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in his despairing posture of his fall. The idea is the only thing that matters to them is continuing to live. That was it. And if the only thing that matters to you is continuing to live, you've missed the boat. And before I go too much farther, COVID is absolutely a thing. I mean, it's contagious. Some people die from it, but some people die from pneumonia. Some people die from cancer. Some people die from automobile accidents. Some people just trip and fall and break their necks. Nobody gets out of this alive except us. We get out of it alive, but we still have to pass through the veil, if you will. This COVID stuff, the Wu flu protocol, is designed to steal your joy. What do we see? First thing we see is no smiles. And everybody looking suspicious. I, quite frankly, don't wear a mask in public. I'm six foot two and male and 180 pounds, so nobody ever says anything to me. I don't know if my dear wife, who is considerably smaller, would have the same result. But my point is, what I do as I walk around, I make a point of smiling at people. You know, I stay socially distanced from them. I don't walk up and go in their face or anything. And somebody's coming, I step out of the way and let them go past, and I give them a big smile. And the other thing about the COVID protocols that is designed to steal your joy is isolation. How long have we been isolated one from the other? How long has the government said, oh, don't gather for Christmas, it's really dangerous. Don't gather for Thanksgiving. Check everybody that comes into your house and make sure they've got a vaccine card. The whole thing is designed to promote suspicion and isolation. That's what it's designed to do. And by the way, it's working. There's lots of people who are absolutely terrified. And I know some of you who have family members that are literally terrified of catching this thing. It can be very serious. It went through the congregation before Thanksgiving. And we had some people that really got sick. I know Jody did. I got sick. So I'm not suggesting that there's nothing there. There is. 
we didn't lose anybody, but there are people that have lost loved ones, and I understand that. But again, my point is, you can lose your loved one if they trip going down the stairs. That's part of living. And if the only thing that you're doing is listening to this drumbeat of fear and hiding behind a mask and isolating yourself, what you wind up doing is you wind up losing your joy. There's no joy in these people's lives. And the joy is systematically being stolen. So let's talk about it. By the way, the Bible thinks joy is a really important thing. In fact, uh, I'll read to you from Deuteronomy 28.45. All these curses shall befall you. They shall pursue you and overtake you until you are wiped out. Because you did not heed the Lord your God and keep the commandments and laws that he enjoined upon you. Well, all right. So we didn't do right, so all these curses are going to follow. But listen here. 46. They shall serve as signs and proofs against you and your offspring for all time because you would not serve the Lord your God in joy and gladness over the abundance of everything. You shall have to serve in hunger and thirst, naked and lacking everything, the enemies whom the Lord will let loose against you. You will put an iron yoke upon your neck until he has wiped you out. Anybody here read Malachi? Every hand should go up. One of the things that is the theme of the book of Malachi is the priests have lost their joy. They're going through the motions. Well, yeah, it says to do this, but this sheep's good enough. doesn't matter if it's blind or lame or what, it's good enough. And everything is, we're going through the motions, but there isn't any joy in it. There's no real relationship there. It's just, we're mechanically doing stuff. And as the religious leaders lose their joy, what happens is that loss of joy communicates. And it communicates to the nobility, the king and his court. And they start to get slack and lax because the priests who are right in the presence of God are slack and lax. And so what they wind up doing is they start using their office for personal gain. They drive people off of their inheritance. They steal. They cheat. And eventually the whole nation slips off into apostasy and God finally says, you guys can't govern yourself anymore. We'll send you some Babylonians or we'll send you some Assyrians and they'll govern you for a while. And it all starts with a lack of joy. That's the first step down the road. The lack of joy is not itself the sin, it's the lack of joy leads to the sin. And what we've got in this country right now, coast to coast, border to border, north, south, east, and west, is a great lack of joy. You've got people who are terrified. And the other thing that they are is isolated, which means that they don't have any relationships. And relationships are the source of joy. Relationships are what make your life worth living. And one of the things that happens when you are isolated is who do you focus on? Yourself. All of your focus turns inward. And you're focused on you. And when you're focused on you, one of the things that you can discover is there's no limit to the things you lack. 
Well, I don't have this, I don't have that, I can't do this, I can't do that, on and on and on. And as you start tallying the things that are wrong, the things you lack and so forth, what you wind up doing is spiraling deeper and deeper into what's called victimhood. Anybody ever seen anybody in the United States that acts like a victim? It's a national sport. Everybody is a victim of something. And what that is, is a focus on yourself. There's a gal, she was 16 years old during the Holocaust. She was a ballet dancer, and she got taken to Auschwitz. Her parents were separated from her and sent immediately to the gas chambers. So here's this 16-year-old girl who's a ballet dancer, and I don't remember which Nazi guy had her dance for him. And he paid her with a loaf of bread. She went back and shared it, and it turns out that sharing that loaf of bread is the thing that eventually got her through the Holocaust. Her name is Edith Egger. She's still alive. I have no idea how old she is now. But she wrote a book called The Choice. And what The Choice is about is victimization and victimhood. And her point is you always have a choice as to whether you regard yourself as a victim. You don't have a choice often about the things that happen to you. She didn't have any choice about whether or not she was going to wind up in Auschwitz. That happened to her. But how she dealt with it was up to her. She was the one that gets to decide that. And I'll read a couple of things from her. Victimization. We are all likely to be victims in some way in the course of our lives. At some point, we will suffer some kind of affliction or calamity or abuse caused by circumstances or people or institutions over which we have little or no control. This is life, and this is victimization. It comes from the outside. The Nazis, if you will, did that to her. It came from outside of her. And then she describes victimhood. Victimization, victimhood. Two different words, you can tell they're spelled differently. In contrast, victimhood comes from the inside. No one can make you a victim but you. We become victims not because of what happens to us, but when we choose to hold on to our victimization. We develop a victim's mind, a way of thinking and being that is rigid, blaming, pessimistic, stuck in the past, unforgiving, punitive, and without healthy limits or boundaries. Does that sound like maybe anybody that you know in the news? As I say, victimhood in the United States right now is a national sport. Everybody gets to play. You're a woman. I'm victim of sexual harassment or whatever. You're black. My ancestors used to be slaves. You're white. Oh, they're discriminating against me. Everybody has got a reason to be a victim. Let me put it another way. If you want one, everybody has a reason to become victimized. But you don't have to play. The antidote to all of that is joy. Joy comes from relationship. Joy comes from gratitude. So as you focus on your family, your friends, your community... Take your dang mask off and smile at each other. 
Because you want a relationship. You want human relationships. And ultimately you want a relationship with God. And the joy of those relationships is the antidote to victimization. Everybody, every now and then, falls into a pity party. Happens to us all. And the thing is, if you're isolated, you've got nobody to grab you by the stacking swivel and say, buck up! You're not the only one this has ever happened to. If you're isolated by yourself, inward focused, you spiral down into this victim pit and you wind up and you stay there. Understand, the antidote to all of this is joy. Joy comes from relationship. Let me give you a piece of scripture. First Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMessiah. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power has been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In other words, external things have victimized you. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Where does this joy come from? It comes from a relationship. A relationship with God, a relationship with Yeshua, a relationship with a community. One of the things about us, like us or not, is when all this started, we didn't play. We didn't close the place down. We didn't all cower behind masks. We kept doing what we were doing. And lots of us got sick. It did happen. I'm not saying nothing happened. But it was a price we were willing to pay not to fold into this isolation and victimization. That was a price we were willing to pay. And now we're through the other side, and some of us will get the Omicron variant, which I understand is the sniffles. But my point is, what they're trying to do is keep this alive. They're trying to keep you afraid. They're trying to keep you isolated. Because afraid and isolated, you are ineffective in combating the evil that is afoot in the nation. You can't do it from your basement focusing on your navel and thinking about how much of a victim you are. That ain't the way to do it. You've got to approach this with joy. Doesn't mean things aren't going to get bad. Doesn't mean things won't happen to you. But you have got a choice in how you look at it. And nobody can take that away from you. You've got to give that up willingly if it's going to go. And believe me, lots of people are lined up willing to give that away. Don't you be one of them. One more thing, and I'll quit. 
as I have said many times, joy is a weapon. It's one of the weapons that God has given you to combat evil. Use it. And joy is a response to love. Evil versus virtue. I will suggest, as I said, that there is evil afoot. Industrial-sized quantities of evil floating around the country right now. We can see them. Everybody can see them. Virtue just wants to be left alone. Evil, on the other hand, has to protect itself. And the way it protects itself is by tighter and tighter control. One of the things that you see historically over and over and over again is when evil really clamps down on control, it's because evil is afraid. In fact, fear is an integral part of evil. And what they do is they clamp down to prevent virtue from triumphing. And the more they clamp down, the weaker they are, which seems counterintuitive. As you look at all the evil regimes in the world, what you discover is these massive control measures are the last thing that happens before they collapse. Now, don't get me wrong. Being caught up in a system like that is really unpleasant. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it's going to be pleasant. It probably won't be. But as they clamp down harder and harder and harder, what you need to understand is that is a sign of weakness. And I will close with a quote from G.K. Chesterton. Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again because it has a God who knows the way out of the grave. Things are really dark right now. I understand that. But understand, God wins. Your job is to face this and not become a mental victim. You may become a physical victim, but not a mental one. You don't have to do that. And your weapon against that is joy. Rejoice. James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What's the operative word there again? Joy. Count it all joy. Rejoice. Shama